Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we take an inside look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials on February 29th. I am your host, Matt Chittam, and in this episode, we talk to C.J. Albertson. C.J. was just on the podium at the California International Marathon, where he ran exceptionally well, and I was really excited to talk to him, not only because of that you know, that fantastic performance he just had. But this guy has done so many interesting things. I can't even talk about the whole thing in the intro because I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, basically make a, a, make such a great story worse by giving you just some sort of half-hearted effort. But let me tell you, it is worth listening to. This guy has done so many amazing things. It is truly incredible. Speaking of amazing, uh, the last podcast we put out on this feed got in just an overwhelming response. And I don't like highlighting specific episodes because Frankly, I think, you know, all the people we've had on this, on this podcast are just fantastic people. But the Peter Bromke episode was really well received. So if you haven't heard that yet, uh, it's a tearjerker, not going to lie, but, um, it was also very moving and powerful. And Peter just has a way with words that is, uh, you know, far exceeds certainly the host's way with words, but I would definitely make sure you give that a listen. Also, before we talk to CJ, I do want to give a shout out because in this episode, we talk about his running and his progression. And unfortunately, and this was all on me, we didn't get into his wife at all. And we should have because she is a remarkable runner as well. He met her in, um, in college at Arizona State. They got married there. And, you know, he, you know, speaks so glowingly about her in so many ways. And not only that, Chelsea is now currently a nursing student doing incredible work there. And despite preferring the track, Decide to uh, try to get her Olympic trials qualifier at CIM, um, not the full-fledged training that CJ was doing, but she uh, you know, wanted to give it a shot, even though, again, track was her first love, and she did just that. She actually ran side-by-side side with her twin sister for 18 miles uh, before they kind of separated, and Chelsea... Good for her and a running CIM in 243.20 or so. Her, uh, her twin sister just missed the 245 barrier. She came in at 245.30, but still an amazing person and in a huge part of CJ's life. And I wanted to make sure I brought Chelsea up in the intro because I didn't, again, this was all on me. I didn't ask any questions about Chelsea during the podcast. I just got so enthralled with CJ's training that it completely slipped my mind. So Chelsea, I'm sorry for not asking any questions, but I'm glad to include you here because you are doing remarkable things as well. So with all of that being said, here is my conversation with CJ Albertson. CJ, congratulations. What a weekend for you, my man. Yeah, thank you. I would have liked to run five seconds faster, but uh, yeah, it was a good weekend overall. <laughs> Man, it's hard, right? It's like we always look at those like, all right, how much little can I improve, right? We're always like, we get a little bit faster, a little bit faster. You know, it's always one of those things. But hey, second at a major marathon, I mean, that is a huge deal. Um, you know, Just for the, the listeners, and I already talked about it in the intro, you finished second at the California International Marathon which is just a huge, huge thing, especially for you being a California resident. Um, how long have you had this race on your calendar um, coming into this year? Uh, I think I signed up in September, maybe. So maybe two or three months. 
Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly when. I, I hadn't had it. It wasn't something I planned out, you know, for a year or more. It was, I actually didn't know if I was going to run a fall marathon um, in preparation for the trials. And then my my brother-in-law and sister-in-law were helping with the elite coordination of the race. And, you know, they, they said, you know, they, they needed some elite athletes and thought that I could do well in the race. And obviously, like, CIM is a is an awesome event. And, um, you know, I was like, yeah, I can... I can bounce back from that race and do the trials. So sure. Sign me up. Um, and then, yeah, so it wasn't this huge premeditated thing, but I'm really glad that I did it. Um, and it was a awesome race. And I think it was, I think it was needed for me because I hadn't really run in a competitive, a real competitive marathon like that. Um, and I think I needed that before the trials. Yeah. You've had a very interesting 2019, um, from a racing and training standpoint, in CIM, as many people know, is such a huge race, especially for people who are trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. And especially right now, it's kind of like that last ditch effort for most people who want to qualify for the trials and still run well at the trials. Right? A lot of people will be in Houston as well, but that is a really quick turnaround between Houston and Atlanta. So obviously we saw, and especially with the women, just a just an enormous amount of people, you know, really targeted this race um, for that moment and for that opportunity. And because of that, also, we saw a lot of people like yourself who'd already qualified for the trials, you know, opt for a marathon earlier in the fall. So for you, what was the, the the kind of the distinguishing properties in trying to figure out if this was too late in the calendar for you to run well in Atlanta or if it was going to be something that would still work well for your body and your typical recovery? Yeah, so I recover pretty quick. Um, I mean, I've only been doing the marathon for a year. Last November was my, my first marathon and last last August was when I first really started to, to train and run like fairly high mileage. Um, but somehow like I just naturally recover fast, even though I'm, I'm new to it. Um, in, in my previous marathons, my, so after I did my first one, I actually ran a marathon two weeks later. Um, and I went from Fresno to Bakersfield and then in early 2019 or early this earlier this year, I ran a marathon in Modesto and ran 216 and then ran a 10 mile race in Sacramento the next week. And then the following week ran the indoor marathon and set the world record. So I kind of knew like I have this weird thing where I recover a little bit faster. Um, none of those marathons were really all out efforts, especially with a significant downhill portion. So they, they didn't beat you up as bad. So I knew the recovery time would be a little bit longer for this. Um, but I felt like, you know, I think it's like thir- 12 or 13 weeks in between. So I felt like that was a good enough time for me. And I also get into shape really fast. Um, even leading up, but like when I first started training for my first marathon, I, I didn't really have any goals or aspirations. I mean, I, I obviously everyone wants to run fast, but I would just wanted to run a marathon just to do it. And about eight weeks in, I ran a 26 mile run at at around, I don't remember the specific time, 221 or so, or maybe 223. But I was like, holy cow, like I'm actually like, I don't know how I got in this good of shape in eight weeks. Um, but so I think that the shorter training blocks work better 
maybe work in my favor just because I get into shape so fast. And then it's sometimes like, what do you do with this fitness? Um, so I, anyways, I felt like that 12 to 13 weeks based on my recovery time and based on how fast I gained fitness, that it was something doable for me. Um, but the main reason really is that I thought C- CIM would be a good payday. Um, you know, the winner gets 12,000, second gets 8,000. Uh, and I'm a part-time professor and coach at my college. So I'm not really making a whole lot of money. Um, you know, don't have any contracts where I'm making money running. So it's like, this was a chance for me, um, in a race that I knew a lot of people would skip because the trials are so close that I could, you know, (laughs) make a significant percentage of my income for the year in this race. So, uh, that was a pretty big determining factor, I guess. Wow, man. You just said so much there that I'd love to talk to you more about. So let's just kind of go backwards first. Um, because I feel like there's like these two parts of your life, which are so very different, right? There's the running side, which as you just mentioned, like that running schedule is atypical (laughs) to say the least. Um, especially for someone in your, at your level, but at the same time, as unconventional as that may be in other parts of your life, you're very much by the book, literally speaking, right? I mean, at ASU, and you can please correct me if this isn't quite right, but I think you were one of two athletes in your graduating class, which is a huge athletic department at Arizona state who graduated with a 4.0 GPA. You're now like a college professor. So in certain ways you're like, you're very by the book. And in other ways you're very spontaneous. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I'm, probably a rule follower and am fairly academic. Um, but then I also just kind of like to do what not necessarily feels good, but what like works and kind of just experiment things a little bit and just kind of have, when it comes to running, just really kind of have fun with things. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a rule follower, I guess, but I don't like to impose rules on other people. And so when it comes to my own training, I just like to just I don't put a lot of limitations on on what I should or should not do um I just kind of run and whatever happens I mean I have a general idea what I'm doing but I like to just kind of let my body do its thing <laughs> so you had a good high school career had a, had an ankle injury which I can relate to as someone who has constant ankle injuries and then went to ASU um set numerous um university records and at what point, because you're still such a young guy, at what point did you decide that you wanted to really step up in mileage and go for these longer races as opposed to staying in the more of the, the 5K, 10K realm? Yeah, so it was probably about a year after I graduated. So I graduated in 2017. And then after that, I was just, um, I wasn't done running. Like some people finish college and they're done. Like they're just you know, I've, I've put in my years, like I'm not running anymore. That wasn't really me, but, but I also didn't, I wasn't really good enough to continue, like really join any sort of group or, and I was married, so I wasn't gonna kind of chase those type of things. But, um, yeah, it was just kind of like, I mean, I was, okay, I mean, I was decent in the, in the steeplechase and, and 5k. Um, but so yeah, I really just kind of stopped running competitively and it was nice for a little bit. Um, I just kind of ran to stay in shape and just for fun. And for me running for fun means running hard. So I'd run around 40 miles a week. Um, but most of it was hard running. Cause I, there was a part of span in the spring where I don't know if I did any just 
like what people would call normal runs where you just go out and run eight miles at 650 pace like I just that never happened I, I maybe did that like once or twice it was either a workout or a hard long run that there wasn't really any just casual easy running because I don't really find that that fun um so that's what I did for a year and then we went to China which maybe we could talk about that later but when I came back from China there was this 5k race that I wanted to do uh locally and I did that and was in pretty decent shape and then I was like I want to run my hometown marathon. Um, Fresno has a marathon. It's not real big, but it's fun. And um, yeah, I just kind of signed up for that. And there wasn't any like, it wasn't like, I'm going to make this big thing. I'm going to try to be great and, you know, be one of the best. It was just, I just want to just do this marathon just for fun. Um, Didn't think I'd qualify for the trials or anything like that. It was just, I just want to do it. And then training just went really well. And literally like eight weeks in, I was like, okay, like I might, I'm think I'm way better at this than I ever was at whatever I did in college. So, you know, at the time I didn't really know it would progress into much, but I I thought like, okay, I think I'm going to stick with this after this first one. So when did you become aware that you would be able to train in a fashion in terms of like, you know, hard miles versus easy miles. You basically, you're, you're, you know, your training even now is a ratio that, that many people would not be able to handle. When did you come to the realization that that is something that not only you can do, but you, you know, seem to thrive on? Yeah. So, well, actually, so I think maybe that's a little bit of a misconception. So my training now, my ratio of hard to easy running is I think actually pretty standard. Um, one thing you have to look at, I run in Fresno, which is completely flat. I mean, most of my runs are pancake flat at sea level. So when I'm running 630 pace, which I typically do on a lot of my easier runs, that that's a pretty easy run for me. I mean, when you're sea level, perfectly flat, running about a minute and a half slower than your marathon pace. I mean, that's that's an easy run. And, that, and I do the majority of my miles at that. So I'm not like superhuman in a sense that I just run all my miles really hard but I do I am able to run longer runs and longer duration runs at a fairly high intensity and then recover pretty well and feel pretty good after that um, and I think I discovered that in in college um, I, I just really loved doing long runs that that was the main thing but um, when we do long runs in college I would get up to 18, uh, maybe 20 miles once or so, but mainly around 18 miles. But I, I got to doing that um, at around just under 530 pace um, towards the tail end of my career when I was really running well. Um, and then even after college, I would just do these random long runs where I'd go out and run 30 miles or 32 miles for no particular reason when I really wasn't in that great of shape. Um you know, I'd run, I'd be, I was running around like 50 miles a week and would just run 32 miles one day, um, and would average around like six, 10 pace or so. Um, and it was like, I, I never really thought about it, but I was like, I guess, yeah, most people don't just do this. Um, but, and I would obviously I'd feel tired afterwards and sore, but a few days later it'd be fine. Um, and I I don't know why my body recover like does what it does, but yeah. So, yeah, the hard easy ratio I think is more normal than most people would think when initially looking at it, but my ability to do really 
longer, faster, long runs repeatedly, I think is, is something that is atypical. That makes sense. And I think you, you couched it there pretty nicely as well. That, 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 you know, you talked about how like you do a lot of runs at 630 pace and, you know, a minute and a half slower than your, you know, your marathon pace and, you know, all of that. But, you know, there are other sides of you, right? Like, shoot, let's look at November 17th, right? Just a couple weeks ago, you know, you went out, you did a 30 mile run at, what was it? 515 pace? Yeah. And so that, that's also like in there as well, which is, again, I think it's just so, it's, it's amazing to me. And I can't wait to talk to you about this part as well, because it's not as if, you know, you've been, mar- you know, kind of like mastering this distance for years and putting in all these miles over this sustained period of time, right? I mean, you just talked about how, you know, a year and a half ago, you're doing 40 miles a week and just coming off a college schedule and things like that. So it is, it does seem like obviously you're working very hard and you also have this part of you, which genetically can handle these sorts of efforts um, in a way that doesn't, you know, that just allows you to bounce back from them in, in this, in this fashion, which is obviously like, you know, really fun. And it, do you get to the point now where, especially this year, and you, you've seen you, you know, race, you know, back to back weekends and do, do, you know, the indoor, indoor marathon set that, I can't wait to talk to you about that as well. You set the record at the indoor marathon, you know, in, you know, the preceding weeks, you had these other major races. Do you get to the point now where you're just looking to see like how how can i test myself and how far can i push this uh yes and no i mean i'm i'm trying to be the now i'm trying to be the best that i i can in the marathon so in the spring those races they really just kind of happened um i had signed up for the modesto marathon which in honesty i was just i the I forgot. It was like, I forgot what the prize money was. And there was like a bonus for setting the course record. And and at the time it was like 225. So I was just going to go out and run a long run, you know, because I, I normally will run, I, I run longer distances. So for me running 26 miles at like 530 pace is kind of what I do every weekend. So might as well make a thousand bucks doing it. Um, Some other guys showed up that typically have never shown up to the Modesto marathon that were pretty fast. And, uh, you know, I had to win. So I ended up running two sixteen there, which just wasn't planned. Um, the Sacktown 10 race, which was the week after, I don't really remember how I got signed up for that. Um, I don't know how, I think, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, my brother, my brother-in-law, like their, his wife is Lauren Totten. She's, grown up in Sacramento. So I don't know, somehow I got in that. And then the indoor marathon was, I signed up maybe like four weeks before. Cause I looked at the entries and then, you know, my, my sister-in-law was like, you should definitely do this. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I think I can win the race, so I might as well do it and be a world record holder because I can. Um, and so I kind of signed up for that last minute too. So all in the spring, that definitely was not some sort of master plan to test myself. It just sort of happened. And that first marathon in Modesto, I didn't really plan on running that hard. Um, but when you sign up for a race, it's a race. So anything can happen. And so I, I, yeah, that happened. And luckily I was able to, to bounce back a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not looking really to do these like crazy like run 10 marathons in a row whatever like 
maybe I would do that someday, but I, I am more focused on running fast and being the best, you know, in the nation and, and making an Olympic team. Um, so, I mean, I'm not to say like, I, I want to do things in a more traditional approach. Um, but I do want to, cause I think for me to be the best that I can be, I need to do what works well for me. Um, but I am going to be, I guess, cognizant of what I'm doing so that I can prepare myself to compete with, you know, the best people, um, in America and, and hopefully, uh, in years, you know, be competing on a world stage. And as you figure out what's the best for you and the best way to train and as you're progressing, are there people that you're leaning on for assistance or is a lot of this or is a lot of this just, you know, trying to be as self-aware as possible? I know you're a coach as well. You coach um, at Clovis, um, you know, so you work with your own athletes. So you have, you know, coaching background as well. Is how, how do you figure out the best way to approach your training and how has that changed over the past year? Yeah. So it, um, so I do lean on, I, I do a lot of research, um, since I've been in high school, that's just looking up coaching theory and seeing what other coaches do and how people train. Um, I mean, I've been doing that since high school actually in high school leading, going into my senior year, I wrote this like, I don't know, 20 something page. I called it manual. I don't, I can't remember what I called it now. Something about being a state champion. Cause that was our team goal. We, we didn't get it, by the way. We were like fifth or something. But um, I wrote this little like manual for our team about all these things we could do, all these different aspects of running, you know, that I've, I've researched. Um, and I kind of just continued that like and I'm just always kind of reading stuff. And so I love learning from other coaches. Um, Renato Canover is a he's obviously a, a great all around coach, but um, but particularly in the marathon. And I really like his philosophies um, and just kind of all different training groups i mean i'm always reading stuff um but then there's also like not a whole lot of people that do the things that i feel like make me great so it's like i have to balance this okay like no one's writing in their training marathon books hey you need to run 50k at whatever pace and like you know no that's not really in a standard plan so um but I really enjoy that and it makes running kind of worth it to me and fun for me. So I like to do those things. Um, and then it's just balancing the other things. So I like to, I like to think of it as I want to have as many tools as I can. Um, so just getting as many different philosophies and, and training methods from different people that have been great both currently and in the past, and then just kind of using those tools to mold myself as to what works for me, what doesn't work for me, um, you know, what workouts I can do when I don't have a lot of time. Cause maybe I'm, I'm coaching and we have a, we have a race or we got to travel for a meet. So I have to maybe skip a workout or only do one workout this week or not do any workouts this week, like whatever it is, you know, the more tools that you have, you know, the better you can kind of not make things up as you go, but kind of adjust things on the fly. So, yeah, I mean, I'm always, I'm always kind of looking for new things and reading things. And I talk with my um, brother-in-law, Seth Pot, and we will bounce ideas off each other every once in a while. Um, and, and yeah, and always like 
do listen to some podcasts, not a ton, but you can get some training training insights from there. So um, I don't even remember the question, but yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure people are getting some training insights into this podcast. That's for sure, because you're you know you're doing things in a way that are obviously working for you in so many ways. And you just mentioned that you're trying things. Some things work. Some things don't. What have you tried from a training perspective that maybe wasn't a great fit for you? I don't know. Maybe in, well, maybe just thinking back, like in, in college, you know, I, college, like I really, I felt like I really tried hard to be good. Like I, I wanted to be the best runner I could be and just do everything that I could to be great. Um, and I mean, I did have some success. It's not like I had a, a terrible college career or anything, but it wasn't as well as I hoped. Um, and I don't know. I, I think I've just found that the more relaxed I am, it, it doesn't necessarily, I think the individual workouts themselves and the, the really nitty gritty parts of training, I mean, they, they do matter a little bit, but I, I think the, the bigger picture and the things that matter most is just your mentality, your overall mood and just how you approach training. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned and just found what works for me is just really just being super casual with it and just having fun. And, and there's times when you need some structure and you need to do certain things. But for the most part, I'm just kind of out here just every day listening to my body, what I like, what I want to do. Like, I think like, what workout do I want to do today that excites me when I think about it? And then that's probably the workout that is, is that I need at that moment um, versus trying to force some workout because it was written on a paper two months ago. Um, so yeah, just that casual approach is it's really made training fun um, and just kept me kind of always feeling kind of loose and never really stressed. And I think because I don't have the stress of worrying about my training, I have more, uh, I have a better capacity to adapt to the physical stress of running. Um, so yeah, it's not necessarily individual workouts. It's just more the approach that I've learned. Um, and that approach is, is better for me. So a kind of a cumulative effect over, you know, weeks and months of training and trying to combine that with an op, you know, an optimistic approach to not only running, but life in general and, and how the, the two intersect. Yeah, it's just, yeah. And like, I mean, there is a structure to it. So it's like, you're always, you know, I'm trying to know like, okay, I know I need to get some speed in. Um, I know I need to kind of hit these energy systems or whatever. Like I know what I need to get in over the course of of a month because I, you know, you don't want to neglect certain aspects of training, but when I kind of hit those, when I fit those in is kind of up to how I'm feeling. So I do have this kind of grand master plan in the back of my mind of what I need to get done, but I'm, I kind of just know that I'm going to get it done. And so if, if it doesn't get done on a certain day, it's fine. Cause I'm going to do it, you know, some other day. And, and that takes like kind of confidence in yourself that you're not going to slack off I guess or that you're I, I don't know it's just this like kind of confidence that like I'm gonna run good no matter what I'm gonna no matter what I not no matter what I do but because I know it's just I know I'm gonna train well I know I'm gonna race well and so I don't have to worry about it because I know myself I'm not gonna under train that's the biggest thing is I know myself I'm not gonna under prepare and under train for something I'm more likely to over train and, and overdo something and be over serious and 
over critical and over analytical. So I've just realized that's my personality. So I don't need to worry about not doing enough. I need to worry about being relaxed and and just kind of chilling out sometimes. Even though it sounds like I'm very laid back, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) In a sense, it does. But in other ways, it's it's very obvious that you've kind of looked at this from all angles and figured out not only what's important, but also what meshes with you and finding where those two, you know, if let's say this is a Venn diagram, where those two circles intersect, trying to stay within that intersection as often as possible. And it actually reminds me of, I was listening to a podcast today from Mario Fraioli, who was doing an Ask Me Anything podcast and was talking about how he worked with Alan Culpepper and how Alan had coached him for, I think it was the LA Marathon. Mario, if you're listening to this, feel free to correct me. But (laughs) how Alan had basically said something similar to him about like, listen, you know, let's not overstress about what kinds of things we're doing. You know, generally speaking, we're going to be doing the right things. And it's about building and building and building. And you're going to be fine. And it's about understanding that, you know, you're going to be ready on race day as long as you don't kind of overcook it a little bit. And with that being said, you mentioned before that, you know, you do take from Canova a little bit. Um, and just looking at some of the training you've done and how you've talked during this show, that it seems to it seems to be that you put a, that you put you know a a lot of emphasis on running you know close to marathon pace in a lot of the workouts and, and running that you do. Do you think that you gear more towards that side of things within a marathon training structure versus you know more towards you know working at threshold pace and things along those lines? Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely do a lot of stuff towards marathon pace. Um, and it's kind of just because I, I just, I really, I just really love long runs. I mean, there's no other way for me to describe it. So just my simple joy of it is why I do those runs so often. And when I'm looking at it from a purely analytical state of what I should be doing physiologically, um, you know, maybe, it, you know, I, I'm doing a higher percentage of that pace work than maybe I should. Um, or what I would prescribe myself if I was looking at it from a purely analytical state. But I just really, like, I love those runs. Like when you, you can't necessarily see it on Strava or on, on, on paper, on a workout log, you can't see the love and the passion and the joy for this long run that I'm about to do. But it's, I wake up on Sunday, even Sunday night, I'm just so like ready. Like I'm, I'm doing all my stretching and foam rolling or whatever that I probably haven't done all week because I'm just so excited for the next morning to to do my run um and so it's it's really out of the love of that particular workout why you see them pop up so so often it's just I just love I just man I just it's so fun to me um but yeah I mean I know to be great like I my threshold does have to increase a little bit I think this this training block, I didn't get enough. I would have liked to get a little bit more speed stuff done where, you know, to make like 440 pace feel a little bit easier so that I can really, because, you know, you, you got to be able to run that last 5K at 440, 445 pace if you want to be really good. So I got to make that pace feel a little bit more comfortable. And, you know, my future training will probably have some more work um, a little bit quicker, maybe not super intense, but I I need a little bit more volume at those paces, um, you know, to really get to the next level. 
But yeah, what what you see from what I've done is really just the biggest thing is what I enjoy. Um, I think I do respond well from it, but it's mainly I'm doing it because I like it. <laughs> I mean, just being honest. Oh, it's so much fun to hear you talk about it because you don't even have to say the words because I like it because it's so evident in the way you're describing this and it really is a joy to hear about. So as you were um, you know, coming up on CIM, say the week of, and you're planning your race and you're getting excited, as I'm sure you were, what did you think that you were capable of on that day and how did you approach, approach race strategy? Yeah, so my my goal was just to win. Um, I mean, looking at the at the race sheets or at the entry list, um, I felt like winning the race was was reasonable. And and uh, Elisha Barno, I mean, he he's pretty good. He's around two hundred nine. He won LA this year. He's won Grandma's a bunch of times. He's won CIM before. So obviously, he was good. Um, and I felt like on paper he was probably better than me. But I didn't think anyone else. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I didn't think anyone else was, was better than me. Um, so I felt like it was, you know, I mean, if you're the second best guy in your mind, then going for the win is something you should be going after. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I, I wanted to run fast cause everyone wants to run fast. And I, I felt like on a perfect day on that course, you know, I, I could have been at least under two twelve. I even thought if I ran, just under 211 like that wouldn't have surprised me at all I, I felt like I could do that um but I knew that it probably wasn't going to be that race I've, I've watched some videos of, of Barno um and looked up splits from all the other races and I just knew he he it wasn't going to be like he's going to go out and push hard from the start so I I kind of knew it wasn't going to be fast so it was just like you know there was I kind of I wanted to run fast, you know, because everyone does, but I knew I was just, I was going to have to go for the win and whatever that was. And it kind of played out a little bit how I thought it was because it really wasn't that fast of a race. Um, and I don't think that time's reflective of how fast I can run, but I did think that I competed well. Um, and I, I mean, I was in it, like I was there to win the race. I just, I just didn't. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything kind of, went how I mean I didn't really know what to exactly how it was gonna go but it I don't know it was what it was and yeah <laughs> so do you kind of decided before the race that you were gonna kind of let him set the pace and you were gonna kind of work off of what he put down so initially I I wanted to just kind of I didn't really know what to do actually I wanted to kind of stick with the group um and, and be okay with running like a high 66 first half even though I knew I was going to be a little frustrated um it, but I was like okay you know I'll just run with the group and because that's what you got to do in, in big races and then we we got to the start line the gun went off and I went out and I I literally 200 meters in no one's around me and I'm like what like did did no one hear the gun like what happened and it's the I mean the start of CIM is straight downhill so I don't know, like maybe people just jogged off the start line, but I had this lead and I was trying to like wait for people to kind of catch up and then no one did. Um, I ended up running the first nine miles pretty much out by myself. Just kind of, I was like, I knew that it wasn't a good idea to really push and be like, all right, I'm just going to try to win the race from the gun. Like, you know, even when I had the lead, I was like, ah, it's, you know, 
I I know these guys are good. Like I respect them. Like I'm just gonna run a modest pace, but I'm not gonna try to just win it right now because I don't. I didn't think that was the best thing to do. So I just kind of ran and basically just kind of waited for them to catch up, which took forever. It was kind of I was like, come on guys, because I wasn't running that fast. I mean, we really weren't running that fast. And then finally they got up to me, and then I could be engaged in the race. Um, and then yeah, kind of slowly dwindled down to three people with about a mile and a half to go. And then Barno made his last kind of final surge because he had been surging throughout the race. And then I kind of tried to go with him and tried to reel him back one more time, but just couldn't get there the last, last 800 meters. And when you think about preparing for a race that has those kind of surges, as opposed to just running, you know, a strong, a strong pace the whole time. And you know, maybe just one, like one late surge. Is that something that that's some, something you can prepare for? Or is that just like, Hey, this is how, this is what marathons involve. And you just kind of expect it to be that way. And you just have to deal with it. Yeah. So it's, it's, I, it's, I don't have, um, I don't really have many like training partners. So I think it'd be helpful if you have that where people can kind of surge like in training. I think you can do some workouts and I'll incorporate some change of pace workouts, especially some longer ones where it's like, okay, I'm going to try to throw down a, maybe a 450 mile here, you know, after 20 miles or, or something where it's like I'm changing or like a mile hard kind of back off a little bit. Um, and have those change of pace workouts, which I haven't really done a whole lot of, um, but I think they're important to do. So yeah, you can train for it a little bit. And then a lot of it, I mean, I think is just also race experience. Um, and I just don't have a lot of those big race experiences. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like in most races when there are big surges in the middle of the race, I think it's better to just run your own pace because a lot of times people come come back or they they settle in so like you may have to like say you're running 505 pace and someone surges to 450 pace um or in a big race 440 pace they're not going to keep that the whole way unless unless you know they're they're really good but um they're, they're normally going to slow down so then you just have to measure okay maybe I, i'm going to have to pick it up maybe i have to run like 458 pace but I'm eventually going to catch them if I keep running 458 or whatever the times are so I think that's the strategy I go in with obviously at the end of the race like with when he broke 2k to go it's like yeah like there's no time to make it up you just kind of got to go and make that acceleration quickly um and I think you can you can kind of train for that by doing some hard stuff at the end of longer sessions but at the same time it's like you can't really get to the same exhaustion point that you are at the end of a marathon and then be really able to turn it on. Cause it's like, I mean, you can only do so much in training and you can't just kill yourself in training. So, um, I think a lot of it is just racing and, and teaching your mind to be like, you know, what? I can, I, I can go with this pace. I can do it. I just got to pull it out of me. Um, and I think there was a mental block just that I even kind of felt during the race and reflecting on it afterwards. It's like, I just, I, I let myself kind of tighten up and feel like, Oh, we're running fast right now instead of just going with them and instead of just relaxing and being like, okay, no, this is just what we do at the end of the race. And I'm, I'm still feeling good. Like I'm going to go with him now and I'm still going to have another gear with 400 to go. Um, 
but I mean, it's, it's learning. And so I think race experience and there are little things I'll do in training, but experience is just the big, the biggest one that I just don't have yet. So what does your training look like, uh, for the next, you know, two and a half months or so as you prepare for Atlanta, knowing what you know now regarding you know, your own you know shortcomings and strengths that you bring to the table? Yeah, so for the next few weeks, I'm not really sure. Um, I'll just kind of see how my body's feeling. Um, I, I don't really want to take like a full like two weeks off or anything like that, um, just because it's kind of it's kind of close to the trials. Um, and I feel like I always always get injured after I take time off. So I just want to do some easy running. Obviously you got to let the body recover. Um, but CJ, I love I'll... that you're, you're the runner that gets injured from resting. Everyone else gets injured from overtraining. <laughs> well, you that... get injured from resting. Well, That's it's, hysterical. it's when you coming with, when you coming back, like when I'm coming back after, Yeah, yeah, yeah. if I yeah, just yeah. train all the time, I feel like I'm good, but then it's like you rest and then you start back up and you have all these little aches and pains. Cause you know, um, <laughs> yeah. So but yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it will be. Um, definitely have a lot of hills. Uh, there's, I mean, I have some, I, I've had some little loops and there's not a whole lot of hills in Fresno, but I have some loops that I've planned out to get as much hills as I can um, and really run the downhills hard in my training to kind of toughen up the legs a little bit. Um, Cause that's what really gets you is when you're really running hard downhill and it just, it just kind of tears you up if you're not ready for it. And I want to be able to, to race on the downhills and obviously there's going to be a lot of uphills, but there's going to be the, an equal amount of downhills and you just, you got to be able to, to run those hard and fast. And so I think my ability to run those real long runs will help me. So I'm going to stick with those. Um, but they're also going to include lots of hills where I'm really running those downhills hard to kind of, you know, use that as a strength, um, to where I can blast downhills and I'm not going to blow, my quads aren't going to blow, you know, after 20 miles or so of just ripping it down. So there'll be a lot of that. Um, you know, I'll try to get a little bit more speed stuff in because, you know, to make top three. I don't anticipate it's going to be crazy fast off the start. So that means you're going to, I mean, I'm going to have to be closing really well and running really fast over hilly terrain that last 5k in order to make the team. So I got to have decent speed. Um, So yeah, there'll be, there'll be a good mix of speed and obviously I'm going to stick with the, the stuff that I'm good with the long runs. Um, but yeah, lots of hills and just figuring out how I can run 14, whatever the last 5k and somehow be there. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we know you have the mental toughness because you ran 211 <laughs> laps at the armory to run 217 <laughs> in the marathon <laughs> in the indoor, um, indoor championships. And I'll tell you what, you know, no matter what happens in Atlanta and obviously I'm rooting for you just like so many others will be doing. You know, we, we need to see you, you know, let's see how low you can go in the indoor. I mean, this is like <laughs> not only a test of like physical strength, but like a mental strength as well. I mean, my God, that is insane. Yeah, I, I will say my my a, a, a brief goal that I've thought about is I'd want to run sub 210 in the indoor. Um, I don't really feel like there's a reason to run it if you're not going to run under 210. 
or I mean a reason for me to run it if I'm if I don't think I can run under 210 but I think like that would be because I mean the indoor record is kind of cool but like I feel like running under 210 like that would actually be like I would I would actually be kind of impressed with that so <laughs> um so yeah if I think I can break 210 I would I would want to do it for sure <laughs> I but I actually that, found I also... the indoor marathon fun <laughs> it was really relaxing you just run in circles. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, you're like a little metronome. I'll tell you what. You should do like a little documentary before it and have like a, like a PT like like test out your like your left I you know, your left IT band before and after the race to see to see what happens because I swear well you to switch God, directions. That, oh, you do. Okay, thank goodness. Because oh yeah. my gosh, so I was like trying after, to imagine after this. an hour. No, yeah, you start running the opposite way, which kind of feels weird at first, but then like a few laps, you're like, okay, this is just how you run and then you switch directions after an hour and it's it's kind of weird because like right when you switch directions it's like really awkward at first because like it's just i don't know you just you just feel i just felt so uncoordinated um and then after a few laps then you settle back into a rhythm but yeah you do switch directions so it's not terrible i actually didn't after the indoor like my hips everything was all right i had i was actually I had this little fluid buildup in my ankle. I didn't know what it was at the time, but going into the indoor marathon, um, but it didn't really hurt more after. Um, yeah, I don't know. Somehow, maybe because I'm smaller, I'm I, it's okay for me. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. CJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was such a pleasure to talk to you. And and you obviously are such a thoughtful guy. And man, you're really kicking some serious butt right now. So best of luck to you coming, you know, going forward and in Atlanta as well. All right, yeah, awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun. CJ, thanks for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Goodness gracious, I can't wait to follow along with what CJ is going to do leading into Atlanta and far beyond that. So again, thank you so much for listening. And thank you, the listeners, for rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. It's the best thing you can do to uh, to help the podcast, and it means so much to me. So with all of that being said, thank you again, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.